Hi, everyone. It's great to be back with you. Well, as Troy said before, we finished our series in 1 Kings last week. We're going to come back to 2 Kings next year, which will be great, and finish the story. But it's time for a break from that. And so for these next five weeks, as we, as I said, God willing, come out of lockdown together, uh, I was keen for us to have a really encouraging sort of practical series to get our teeth into for these five weeks. And what we're going to do is look at the fruit of the Spirit that we just read about in Galatians chapter 5. And we're going to think about what are the character traits that grow in us if we're followers of Jesus? Uh, what are the character traits that grow in us because we have his Holy Spirit at work in us? What are the things we should cultivate in our lives as followers of Christ? So I hope it's really encouraging because my hope is you'll look at yourself and look at your brothers and sisters in Christ as we look at this together and you'll see how God has been at work in you and in them. And I hope that's an encouragement. But I also hope it's challenging because we'll think about how we need to walk in step with the Spirit, as it says there. How we need to work at actually cultivating these character traits in our lives. So that's the plan. This week, tonight, we're looking at Galatians chapter 5 to get the whole picture. And then over the next four weeks, we'll come back and look at each of the fruit of the Spirit uh, and think about them individually. But now, let's pray as we begin. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that we have your Holy Spirit at work in us. That when we came to Christ, your spirit was at work, making us born again, giving us new life in Jesus. And we thank you that that same spirit is at work in us now, producing this fruit so that we might become more and more like our Savior. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, as I said before, in our update, so-called Freedom Day is almost upon us. The day we get so many of our freedoms back, the freedom to go to the shops, the freedom to go to the movies, the freedom to go to restaurants, the freedom to go get a haircut, uh, the freedom to, as I said, God willing, go to church very soon. But of course, many people, including many people in our government, in the health department, are quite worried about Freedom Day because they're worried that people will take that freedom and make it into anarchy. They're worried that they'll take that freedom and abuse it. They're worried that people will use it as a, a license to go a bit wild. And of course, that could have really difficult consequences for us if it leads to a spike in COVID cases. And that's why people are worried uh, about freedom. But that whole situation that we're about to start looking at tomorrow in our society, that whole situation is actually a wonderful analogy, uh, a wonderful picture for how the Bible thinks about the freedom we have in Christ. How do we use the freedom that the gospel offers us? Do we go wild or is there something that restrains us? And that's what Galatians 5 brings up for us. So my first heading tonight is how will you use your freedom in Christ? So look with me at Galatians chapter 5 verse 13 that we just read. It says, for you were called to be free brothers. Only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. Now, what's he talking about? Well, the gospel sets us free. Coming to know Jesus sets us free. Some people, I think, think the gospel puts chains on us, but the opposite is the case. We are chained to sin. We're slaves to sin. The gospel, Jesus, sets us free from that, free from the impossible task of trying to make ourselves righteous through our own works before God, free from the power and penalty of sin, which is death, free from the condemnation of God's law, the, the law that says to you, you cannot keep God's standards, so you rightly deserve God's righteous judgment. And so the book of Galatians is actually all about that freedom, 
Uh, you are not saved by works, is the big message of the book of Galatians. You're not saved by what you do. You cannot save yourself. Instead, you are saved by grace, a free gift of God. And you accept that gift by faith, by trusting in what Jesus has done for you, the Jesus who died to pay the price for your sin. That's the wonderful message of the gospel, the free gift of salvation in Jesus. But from the very beginning, Christians made one of two mistakes with that news. And mistake number one is actually what most of the book of Galatians is about. It's the mistake where they thought, this is too good to be true. They said, no, it, it can't be a free gift. So, so teachers came to many of the churches where the Apostle Paul had been teaching and they said, yeah, yeah, you need faith, like Paul says. Yes, you need to trust in Jesus to be saved, but you need to do other things as well. But you still need to obey the Old Testament. You still need to get circumcised. There, there are still foods you can't eat and things you must do and festivals you must follow. Basically, they said, you can't be trusted with that freedom. In fact, freedom is overrated, they said. You still need the law of the Old Testament to keep your sin in check. And that's the error that Galatians chapters 1 to 4 is responding to. And basically in those chapters, Paul says, no, don't listen to people that say that. That is a horrible lie. You are saved by grace alone, a free gift of God through faith alone, in Christ alone. Christ has set you free from the law. But there was another error, the opposite error, mistake number two, where some people then said, oh, I get it. So I'm saved by grace. Well, now it doesn't matter how I live. I'll do whatever I want. I'm free to do what I want, when I want, how I want, with whom I want, and it doesn't matter how I live. Basically, it was people using their gospel freedom as an excuse for sin. And that's the error that chapter 5 of Galatians is responding to. So look at verse 13 again. And it says, For you were called to be free, brothers, only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. See, the flesh is our old sinful self, the selfish desires that actually come quite naturally to us. And so Paul says, Jesus didn't die for you so that you would just keep being the same old person you used to be. He didn't wash you clean so you can just go and jump back into the mud again. He didn't free you so you could run back in to the chains of sin. No, Jesus freed you so that now you could live for him. And especially he freed you to do what actually the whole Old Testament law was about from the very beginning. He freed you so that you can love God and love other people. So look at verse 14. It says, for the entire law is fulfilled in one statement. Love your neighbor as yourself. See, we have been freed not to gratify our sinful desires. We've been freed to love one another, to serve one another. But how do we do that? See, how are we able to make that change in our life? How are we changed so that we can live to love and to serve others? Because frankly, that doesn't come naturally to us. You see, left to our own devices, human beings will gratify our own sinful desires. That's why we needed saving in the first place. We couldn't save ourselves. We couldn't do the good works that God wants us to do. So what changes what changes to make it possible for us to live, to love and to serve? And especially, what changes to make us actually want to live, to love and to serve other people? Well, the thing that changes us 
is all through this passage that was read for us a minute ago. He actually, he, notice, not it, he gets mentioned seven times in these verses by my count. And the answer is we are changed through the work of the Holy Spirit. It's only through the work of the Holy Spirit that we are set free in the first place. But then it's only through the work of the Holy Spirit that our freedom doesn't just become an excuse to keep sinning. It's only through the work of the Holy Spirit that we even want to use our freedom to love and to serve others. But the thing is, the Holy Spirit is not the only influence on us. And that brings me to my second heading. The reality of the Christian life is a constant battle. And this is verses 16 to 23. When you became a Christian, I hope you remember when that was. Uh, Some of us don't remember a day where we didn't know Jesus, which is wonderful. But when you become a Christian, you actually become a new person. Your old self dies and you become a new spirit-filled person because God's Holy Spirit comes and sets up residence within you. But your old self, that, that self that thought it was okay to keep sinning, it's still there. And so until Jesus returns, we have this conflict at work within us between our old sinful selves, what the Bible calls the flesh, and our new self led by the Spirit. And those two forces are always at loggerheads. They are constantly at war. Look at verse 17. It says, For the flesh, your old sinful self, the flesh desires what is against the spirit, and the spirit desires what is against the flesh. They are opposed to each other so that you don't do what you want. Remember in the cartoons how the character would often have a moral dilemma and they'd show it with a little devil on one shoulder and a little angel on the other. I've got a picture of Homer here from The Simpsons in just that situation. The devil says, hey, just do it. You want to do it. And the angel always in a, in a less enticing voice says, no, no, you know better than that, Homer. And usually the cartoon character ends up flicking off the angel and going with the devil, but then later regretting it because all cartoons have a moral at the end of the story. Well, as silly as that is, that is something like the reality of the Christian life, except it's in here. It's not on your shoulders. It's in here, in our heart. Until Christ returns and until our sinful nature is done away with once and for all, until then, we will all have this struggle. Sometimes people come to me and they say, I don't think I'm a Christian because I'm always struggling with this sin in my life. And I say, no, if you weren't struggling, that would be the worry. Because that would suggest you don't have the Holy Spirit and and the flesh is in control of you. But the fact that you have the the struggle, that shows that the Spirit of God is at work in you. So what are the desires or the works of the flesh? Well, they're there listed out for us. Most often people think the flesh is all about sex, don't they? So the lust of the flesh has come to mean in society in general, sexual sin. And it certainly includes that. If you look there at verse 19, it says sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity. Those words cover all sexual activity outside of marriage, heterosexual, homosexual, sex before marriage, adultery, pornography, entertaining lustful thoughts. All of those things are works of the flesh. But the works of the flesh aren't just about sex. They aren't just about misplaced sexual desires. It includes false religion, 
So look at verse 20 again. It includes idolatry and sorcery. See, to worship other gods or, or to worship the creation instead of worshiping God is a work of the flesh. It's to sin against God. It's what your old self used to do. But most of all, at least in number, the works of the flesh are sins against other people. Look again at verse 20. It says hatreds, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy. See, anything that seeks to harm others, anything that seeks to tear others down, often by putting ourselves up, we tear other people down. And whether it's in thought or word or deed, basically anything that is the opposite of loving others, anything that's the opposite of serving and building others up. And finally, the works of the flesh include sins of abusing alcohol and the like. See, their drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. See, these are the works of the flesh. And to make the point that these are not harmless little trifles, because you see, all of us sometimes look at these lists in the New Testament and we say, oh, there's some serious sins, but there's other ones there that aren't as serious. I, I'll just tolerate those. And you might have thought that with a couple of those in the list to make the point that they're not harmless. Verse 21 gives us one of the harshest warnings in all of Scripture. It says, I tell you about these things in advance, as I told you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Just see how serious that is. Will not be in the kingdom of God. See, yes, we will all struggle with temptations until Christ returns. Some of us will struggle with some of them, some of these things on the list. Others will struggle with others. Others will struggle with all, but we'll all struggle with them. And sometimes we will even stumble. And sometimes we will fall and we will need to keep repenting and keep turning back to Jesus for forgiveness. But if these things are an ongoing part of our life, if we carry on in them unrepentant, if we do not care that we are doing them, then understand this, we will not be a part of God's kingdom. Not because we are saved by works. No, but because if we just carry on in the ways of the flesh with no struggle and no repentance, then that actually is a sign that we do not have the spirit of God at work within us. Hear these warnings. These things must not characterize us if we are followers of Jesus. So what must characterize us instead? Well, that brings us to the fruit of the Spirit. I am not a botanist. You only need to come and look at my backyard to see that that's the case. Uh, I cannot tell an apple tree from a pear tree from an orange tree until they bear fruit then I can tell what they are. A few years ago, we planted some cucumber seeds in our back garden and a vine grew up and we thought, how good is that? We're going to get some cucumbers. And then this big fruit started growing on it. And I could swear it was a pumpkin, but I knew that was a cucumber vine. And so I said, that is the biggest orangest cucumber I've ever seen. And then we cut it open. And you know what? It was a pumpkin. None of our cucumber seeds had grown, but in the compost were some old pumpkin seeds and they'd grown. See, this is the thing. You know what the tree is by the fruit it bears and an apple tree can only grow apples it can't just by force of will pop out an orange one day well so it is with someone who has the spirit of God you can't tell if a person has the spirit just by looking at them but you can tell by the fruit they bear and if we have the spirit we will see spirit fruit 
Look from verse 22 to see what that fruit is. It says, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, self-control. I'm not going to steal the thunder of the next few weeks where we're going to think about each of those. But do you see how they are all the opposite of the desires of the flesh? Because by definition, the fruit of the spirit is not about gratifying my desires. They are not about doing what's best for me. Instead, they're about giving God the honor. They're about giving up what I desire for the good of other people. They are God-centered. They are other person-centered rather than me-centered. That's almost the definition of the fruit of the spirit. And that is why our flesh and the spirit are going to be in constant conflict. How could they not be when one is all about gratifying myself and the other is all about serving God and serving others? I wish I could tell you that you could do away with that struggle once and for all. I wish I could tell you that in 20 years time of being a Christian, you, you'll, you won't have that struggle anymore, but I can't because this is the reality of the Christian life until Christ returns. That's why we pray, come Lord Jesus. Isn't that right? Because it's only when Jesus returns that that battle will be over. But that doesn't mean that things are hopeless for us now. Go back to verse 16 and look at what it says. It says, I say then, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. We can't resist the desire of the flesh by our own power but we don't just have our own power. We have the spirit of God dwelling within us. Yes, there's a battle, but it's not us versus our flesh. We have the Muhammad Ali of spiritual warfare in our corner. We will always have this struggle against the flesh, but we have the tools to stand up in the struggle. And the great tool is to walk by the spirit, to choose to listen to the spirit not to the flesh, to choose to walk in line with the spirit, not the flesh. And to do that, we have to have the right attitude to the flesh on one hand and the right attitude to the spirit on the other hand. So the flesh, firstly, we must crucify the flesh. Look at verse 24. It says, now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. When you became a Christian, that's what you did. You nailed your old self to the cross with Jesus. The, the theological word we give it is repentance. You repented. You, you said, I'm going to turn my life around 180 degrees and stop letting myself be the king and I'm going to let Jesus be my king. And effectively at that point, as I say, your old sinful self was nailed to a cross with Christ. So if it's dead... We must not keep going back and looking at it longingly. We must not go back and keep thinking about the glory days of what I used to do. We don't go back and try and loosen the nails and resuscitate it and bring it back to life. And when it does start to seem like it's coming back to life, we need to put it back up on the cross again. We need to decisively hammer in the nails again. See, the Christian life is not repenting one day and then the rest of your life is... No, we keep repenting. We keep putting off sin every day. We keep taking a hold of the forgiveness we have in Christ every day. Yes, the struggle will be there. 
until Christ returns. But we do not tolerate it. And we certainly don't add fuel to the fire. We don't look back longingly at what we used to be. We deal with the desires of the flesh strongly and decisively. So that's number one. Crucify the flesh. And then two, we must walk by the spirit. Look back at verse 16 again. It says, I say then, walk by the spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. And then verse 25, since we live by the spirit, we must also follow the spirit or walk in step with the spirit. See, the spirit has given us life. The spirit has given you new birth as you've trusted in Jesus. You've been born again. So now we need to follow his lead and walk in step with him. Let the spirit lead us rather than let our flesh lead us. Sometimes I hear Christians talk about this and they they make it seem like a passive thing. I just need to let the spirit work in me. And there's a truth in that. Without the spirit, we are powerless. We can't do it in our own strength. But the challenge here to you is active, not passive. I hope you see that in the passage. It's not sit back and let the spirit do his work. No, it's you have the spirit. So now you walk in him. You make that choice. You decide to follow the spirit. We have to ruthlessly put to death the flesh. And then we have to work at discipline in following the spirit. We have to work at cultivating this fruit in our lives. That's what it means to walk by the spirit. Again, sometimes I hear Christians or even Sometimes I hear myself saying things like this, where we say, oh, that's just me. You've got to understand I've got a short temper or I'm impatient or, or I don't tolerate fools. God says to you there, that's not good enough. Yes, that might be you. That might be your particular struggle, but we must not accept it. It should grieve us. We need to work at dealing with whatever remnants of the flesh there are and putting on the fruit of gentleness or or whatever it is or other times I hear people say that's the way God made me you know I'm just someone who does that that's just me and people have to accept it again no that's the way sin makes you God wants us to put off these things and grow in the fruit of the spirit in their place or other times I hear people say God loves me just the way I am as if that means I don't need to change. Again, like so many statements, that's a half-truth. Yes, God loves you, even as a sinner. He loves me, even as a sinner. But he loves me despite who I am. Not because of it. He loved me enough to pay the price for that sin. And now God gives me his spirit so that I might change. I hope you see this point. God saves us as we are in order that we might change. No Christian should ever say, I'm satisfied with myself. No Christian should ever say, I'm now happy with where I'm at on the maturity front, on the godliness front. The Christian life is about constantly growing, changing into who God wants us to be. But praise God, we don't do that in our own power. We have his spirit at work within us. And so how do we do this? How do we cultivate the fruit of the spirit? I'm sorry for those who want something novel or uh, want something new, some secret answer, but actually it's the same old answer. It's by devoting ourselves to what we call the means of grace, devoting ourselves to prayer, devoting ourselves to spending regular time in God's word, 
committing ourselves to Christian fellowship. They're the three means of grace. Christian fellowship, so our brothers and sisters can encourage us and spur us on. That's how the Spirit works, through those means of grace, prayer, the Word, and fellowship. I purposely had Psalm 1 uh, read as our first reading before, because it talks about a tree growing well when its roots are in the water. You see, you never see fruit growing on trees that are not well watered. Just like you never see Christians growing in the fruit of the Spirit who are not being watered by those means of grace. See, that is how we will see the fruit of the Spirit growing in us and amongst us. It's how we'll see it growing in one another's lives. It's as we devote ourselves to the Word of God, as we devote ourselves to prayer, as we devote ourselves to fellowship. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that by your Spirit we have been given new life that it's your spirit who is at work in us, bringing us to faith in Jesus and changing us to be more like him. And so, Father, we pray that we would be people who are constantly crucifying the flesh, constantly repenting of the sin in our lives and seeking to walk by the spirit. And, Father, we pray that we would be devoted to those means of grace, that we would be people devoted to prayer, devoted to your word and devoted to fellowship so that we might see that fruit grow, not just in us, but in our brothers and sisters as well. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.